today on CityCast Denver. It's election season, meaning you're probably getting bombarded by political ads. But it isn't the race for governor or the state senate that's getting all the attention. It's the fight for Congressional District 8, a newly drawn district stretching from Commerce City all the way north to Greeley. And it isn't just about the politics of the rural, the urban, and the suburban. It's about who will be voting in this election. Today on the show, our state politics correspondent, Justine Sandoval, joins me to talk about why the Latino vote matters in this race in particular, and why it's important for Republicans and Democrats to understand that Latino voters are not a monolith. Today is Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Yeah, yeah, I have my voice notes. I just got an iPhone, so. Just got it in November of last year, and I'm still trying to just, because I was an Android person for five million years. Yeah, welcome to the other side. (laughs) Justine Sandoval, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. What is the bigger picture about, like, of this particular race to you, Justine? Yeah. Um, What's really interesting about, I think, CD8 is forever Denver was seen, Denver Metro, as like the mecca for Latinos. And in the last, you know, 20 years, because of gentrification, because of uh, a bunch of different issues, we've seen um, people of color move out of Denver and start to populate larger areas outside of the metro area. So actually, right now, we're seeing the Latino vote grow everywhere else outside of Denver. Um, so Denver is no longer like the epicenter of that vote. And so places like CD8, where we see people have moved into Thornton and all of these areas where you can actually buy a home and raise your family there. Right. Um, and maybe even not now, but you know, a few years ago, you could. <laughs> yeah. Even in the last like decade or two, you know, yeah. I, I've I've seen that change, too, and that a lot of friends are moving out of the like you're saying the metro because it's what they can afford. Yeah. They, also, you want a bigger house? You got to go farther out. So it's changing the demographics also of our voting population. So this district is a is this a new district f- that came out of redistricting? Yes. Um, We had enough people move in post-pot world here, or I mean pre-legalization world is what I should say. Um, And that population boom uh, per the 2020 census uh, gave us another congressional district, and that's Congressional District 8. So we have Yadira Caraveo, who is the Dem, and then Mm -hmm. Barbara Kirkmeyer, who's uh, the Republican. What can you tell me about these two candidates? So um, Barb Kirkmeyer was in the Senate, right, <laughs> the state Senate, and Caraveo came from the House. So they are both very much, you know, involved in Colorado politics. Um, so watching the shape up is really interesting. Uh, one thing that I could say was one of the biggest contrasts between the two, especially this last legislative session, was the fight for the REA bill. Will you remind me again what REA stands for? It's like Reproductive... Yeah. Reproductive Health Equity Act. Reproductive Health Equity Act. Okay. So it's, it's it's the thing that we did to solidify abortion access as best we could as a state. Yes. Okay. Uh, so when that bill passed... During, you know, testimony, one of the things that I remember very notably is Mark Kirkmeyer being very much against that. And um, Dr. Caraveo very much 
for uh, pro-choice issues and abortion rights here in Colorado. And now, right now, the issue with being pro-choice or not has become something that the Republicans are having to answer for in a state that is very much pro-choice, very much pro-abortion. So that was one of the most notable things I can think recently about the difference between these two candidates and, um, you know, representation also in that area. You have a large Latino population there and you have someone like uh, Yadira Caraveo, who, you know, is very much, I think, inspirational for a lot of people in that community, like per her background and everything. But you also do have a lot of conservative older votes that are still living in those districts and still there. And you can tend to see that split. Um, so, you know, another thing they face is the big test of all is always what the economy is like, especially during midterms. And people tend to flip towards one side or the other, depending on how they feel the economy is doing. Sure. And I have to say, the one Barb Kirkmeyer uh, commercial that I recall that I saw recently is really hinging on that, the economy, yeah. jobs, and things like that. But I also find something interesting is a lot of times when we hear this conversation about abortion and Latino communities, there's this crossover with Catholicism, right? And religion and how that plays into folks' experience and how they vote. And I wonder if you think that that, how that plays out in 2022. Um, I think it's playing out a lot, especially when it comes to abortion. And I find this very interesting. My family was part of the Chicano rights movement. And the Catholic Church used to actually represent more of a social justice movement in the 60s and 70s. A lot of that had to do with like the unionization of farm workers and, uh, you know, Chicanos, Latinos, Mexicanos who were working to um, unionize, to fight for their rights in the labor force. Well, you had a lot of these Catholic churches who jumped in to march with their parishioners because that was the majority of their parishioners. So you'll see a lot of times when you look at the Chicano rights movement, like the Lady of Guadalupe <laughs> flying with them, priests marching with them, priests participating in the social justice movement. But I think in the last you know few decades, we've seen that shift, I think, and here in Colorado to a much more conservative Catholic Church, however we want to define what conservatism is, but moving away from some of those social justice issues and lining up with more evangelical views of conservatism. And you've also seen a lot of Latinos leaving the Catholic Church to um, evangelical churches, um, especially in rural parts of Colorado. I've noticed that. So I think that the Catholic Church's shift here in Colorado, especially, or particularly here in Colorado, has been an issue for a lot of um, Latino Catholic voters who are now shifting to more conservative views, especially around abortion. So I really want to dig into this representation conversation because there have been a couple articles about the Latino vote and the Hispanic vote and how that's going to play out in elections in particular, for instance, right now, this congressional district with uh, CD8. Um, but when I when I nudged you and said, hey, Justine, I want to talk about this. You were like, great, I'm ready. I have a rant. What is <laughs> tell me what's going on? What, how do you feel about this? The idea of taking the Latino vote as one monolith of people is problematic and it's problematic across the nation. And a lot of times you'll see CNN never have conversations like, why do Cubans vote so conservative and Mexicans vote? I'm like, the two different worlds. Like we need yeah. to. <laughs> Culturally, I mean, the experiences they've had politically, economically, they're not yes. the same. 
Not the same at all. Like one thing I was talking to uh, with a friend of mine who is from Miami is, you know, idea of Cubans voting very conservatively down there because they're scared of the idea of so of the effects of socialism and communism because they've seen political things disguised in their country as socialism and communism that were not that and are very much against that. So you see like Southern Florida, the shift there. When you look at where I'm from, the Southwest United States, um, it's very different view. Mexico is a democracy. So <laughs> there's not like this fear of like democracy or government or any takeover here because I think they see that uh, mere their governments with each other. Uh, one thing too is a lot of us have been here for many years. We didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. But there are also, you know, people who are have just come to this country or whose parents are their first gen and they're working with their parents. So it's two very different worlds. So you'll often see here, especially in the Southwest, with um, the unionization of the farm workers and all of the movement from the Chicano rights movement, um, shift more towards sticking with the Democratic Party. My family, I always laugh. I'm like, we're Viva La Kennedy Dems. <laughs> They've been that way generations before and they continue to you know, be that way because we've seen social progress because the Democratic Party represents a lot of things that we value. So like uh, organized labor, that was huge um, for us, you know, access to education. Uh, very, and There was very much this, I think, blatant racism of like Mexicans go away, like Mexicans versus white culture here that we see that the Republican Party represents this idea of like anti-Mexican, anti-Black. Yeah. But I think we see that cultural divide still and remember that from our, our social justice movements um, that we went through. So the Democratic Party still has a stronger hold in the Southwest than it would do in other parts of the country. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Going back to the CD8 race, I'm thinking about representation and um, Yadira Caraveo identifies as Latina. And I wonder how much that factors in for Latino voters. It, is it important? I mean, it's it's hard to tell. And every single election cycle, I have to like step outside of my own personal Chicana bubble and look at it because to us forever, that was very important. I think what you've seen a lot of, too, with the Republican Party is recruitment of Latinos. So that line is a little blurred. When back in the day, it was like, you just vote for anyone who has a Latino last name. Mm -hmm. A lot of time in the car culture. And all of those candidates were usually Democratic candidates. So now you see that, you know, both parties are recognizing how important the Latino vote, I hate the, the monolith vote or whatever you want to call it, Latino vote is. So they are both, you know, making 
efforts to run candidates who represent that culture. And so it blurs the lines, I think. So when you get people knocking on your door, it's kind of like you're not assuming that the Latino last name is a Democratic candidate anymore and that they have options. So I think that's become an issue in the last um, several decades. Sure, sure. And I'm thinking about um, when I was reading the CPR story, it was like, so the Koch brothers are funding a group? Yeah that is is chasing the Latino vote. How does that feel or look to you as somebody who's been involved in politics for the last couple, almost, you know, a couple, decade and a half? Yeah. Is that surprising to you or is that sort of just like, well, of course? I mean, it makes sense. I have my feelings on each political party, but you would be out of your mind to not be doing any efforts right now to be courting the Latino vote. But they've done um, a good job at it in a lot of ways. And I think it's because they tend to invest um, money into just going in and talking to people on the doors. And they're not always very clear or truthful either. I've had friends here who are like, yeah, I'm like not politically involved, but like care. So they don't really understand like the differences of parties or anything. And I had a friend one time that was like, oh, yeah, I took this job doing this political thing, knocking doors to get Latinos to vote. And I was like, wait, let me see what you're passing out there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is for the Republican Latino outreach. And I let her know because I know she's very much a Democrat, but had no idea because a lot of that is disguised as we're just trying to get Latinos to vote. But they're very much aligned with the Republican Party, which becomes the issue because you have other groups that are, you know, trying to get the Latino vote out who, you know, are swaying one way or the other. I think that there's a clear line that we are working for the to get more people to vote democratically. And that's one thing we've seen in polling in the last decade or so is that the Latino population is um, more likely, if you give them enough information, have conversations, will move towards one issue or another. They're not staunch on one thing or another. And then there's issues that know that both parties overlook talking to Latinos about. Like one is the environment and environmental justice. When I did um, conservation work, Latinos were more likely to be concerned with the environment than any other racial group in the United States. And they were more likely to switch their opinion of candidates depending on where they felt about the environment, because the environment is actually very important. But you rarely see. Yeah, I was going to say it's like abortion, immigration, gun rights. Why is that over? Why are these issues overlooked for Latino voters? Like why? What is the assumption that these voters don't care? I think it goes back to the issue of us being a monolith, right? So people are like, oh, well, you know, we don't know if they care about environmentalism because they're new immigrants. They just care about working and, you know, those issues. But you have families like my family (laughs) has been here many years. My grandfather, uh, we're the we didn't cross the border, border crossed us, but very much lived in the land of Colorado, hunting and fishing and off of the land and that that idea of conserving the environment is very important. I mean, I always make jokes. I'm like, my grandma was the original conservationist. She was washing foil <laughs> off and reusing all the, yeah. the butter. You open country crock, it's either salsa, beans, <laughs> or maybe you find the, the margarine. You don't know. So <laughs> Your grandma idea. was like the original reclaimed, yeah. upcycled 
You exactly. Know? And so many of us are like that. And it is cultural, you know, a lot of us from the rancho where you did things like that to conserve and preserve the environment. But yet there's not that conversation because when you think of Colorado, you think of white guy rock climbing <laughs> Sierra Club and you don't necessarily right. think of, you know, black and brown people both living in the West and surviving off the land in the same ways. Um, to wrap up, Justine, I would love for you to give me your prediction on this race, Congressional District 8. What do you think is going to happen? Well, <laughs> I have faith in the Democratic Party overall this um, election cycle here in Colorado. I think that there are a lot of other issues with the Republican Party when it comes to the January 6th insurrection. Mm. Also, the big thing, abortion. Coloradans overall, I worked in abortion rights for many years and I traveled all throughout the state. And one thing I always tell people is no matter if you're conservative, Republican or hardcore blue Democrat here, you believe in the right to choose and you believe in abortion rights. And that's across party lines here. And we've seen that with anti-abortion amendments that have been ran and they overwhelmingly get defeated in Colorado because that is not a party issue here. So that will be a big factor too. So I'm feeling confident. I think that we have a lot of work to do as far as making sure that we are reaching out to community, Latino communities, because like I said, the Latino vote now is even more important statewide than ever before. Uh, it's not just a concentration of the metro area. It is actually even more crucial throughout the state. So how both parties are moving forward in talking to those voters and how, you know, they're making sure that they identify everybody's unique cultural identity is going to be the deciding factor in the next election. Mm. Yeah, I'm so curious to see how this plays out. But now I'm thinking differently because I'm thinking about this environmental justice issue that you brought up. I think that Gen Z is going to do an incredible job and maybe transform our politics in a way that we have those conversations. One thing that I remember growing up is, you know, my aunts and uncles, my parents were very much in the Chicano rights movement in the 60s and 70s. And even though our elders who are a little bit more conservative, they were able to pull them over into that. So I think that's really important for both parties to be working on getting that younger vote, because a lot of times in Latino culture, Across the board, this might be one of the monolith things. We're able to sway our elders a lot, and our elders will tend to vote, I think, in ways that will make sure they're supporting the next generation. Justine, thank you so much for joining me. I always love to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. She said yes. In an NAACP candidate forum over the weekend, Republican challenger for governor Heidi Ganahl answered yes when asked if she believed President Joe Biden was, quote, legally elected. Colorado Newsline reports that Ganahl has been dodging questions on the campaign trail related to election conspiracy theories, though she's publicly supported groups that promote disinformation about the 2020 election. Huh. And in other mediocre news, turns out we not only suck at recycling, we suck at composting, too. CPR reports that while composting programs are expanding in Colorado, consumers aren't great at monitoring what they put in the compost to begin with. Glass, plastic utensils, produce stickers, and even common household items like shoes are ending up in the compost bin, rendering it unusable. This means that instead of becoming nutrient-rich soil, the compost ultimately ends up back in the landfill. 
In January 2023, Denver will switch to a citywide composting service. So here's to hoping we get our trash together by then. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell your local trash man about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya! mediocre news. I'm such a jerk. <laughs>